with a full realization of Rich's challenge in Sunday school that uh, we're not as thankful as we ought to be. We tend to get our focus way too much on ourselves and way too much on the temporary and not uh, not all the blessings that you have done for us and what you're doing and what you're going to do, the hope that we have. And so, Father, I just pray that you'd help us and guide us and direct us into the realization that the, the trials and tribulations of this life is temporary. What you're preparing for us and preparing us to be a part of is, e- is eternal. Help us to get our mind wrapped around that and grasp that. Treat that that is temporary as temporary and that that is eternal as eternal. We need your spirit to train us and teach us in these areas. Father, we lift our list up to you as we do every Sunday and as we do throughout the week that we pray for these that's on the list. Different issues, Father. I just pray, Father, that you would Address each one of those issues in your wisdom, in your sovereignty, as you see the beginning and the end, and you have a plan and a purpose for each life represented on the list, and and the family members that are affected by those, also, and the friends. Thank you that you do have a plan. Thank you that you are working it out. I just ask that you'd go before, and your perfect will would be worked into each one of these lives. I pray that hearts would respond, would realize that you are the one that they need to trust and put their faith in completely and totally in every aspect of their life. And I just pray that these truths would be worked into their lives. Father, we continue to pray for our country and our nation, where it's going and what's going on. We realize that you are you you work in nations just as you work in individual lives. And I just pray, Father, that you would... Uh, be at work in our nation, especially the church in America, Father. I just pray that it would be uh, rise up men to stand behind a pulpit and speak the truth boldly, accurately, and that there would be hearts that would respond to the truth and bring their lives in line with the truth. For we realize that's really the only thing that can... Uh, affect a nation in a positive way as if uh, your people rise up and become a light and become a witness and a testimony so that others can respond to the gospel. And so we pray for the church in America. As we pray for our military, we hold it up to you and thank you to it for it. Pray that those that make decisions concerning the military would make wise decisions, right decisions. We think of our missionaries and we thank you for them and just pray, Father, you just continue to support them and encourage them and strengthen them and uh, teach us to pray more effectively for them as we get information from them concerning what they're dealing with. So, Father, I just, uh, at this time, Father, just ask that your Holy Spirit be here speaking to us instructing us and guiding us and open our hearts and minds to your word, your truth, that it might uh, transform our lives, that we might uh, 
walk in the truth in a righteous way that pleases you. These things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I, I had Norn put the whole chapter, but we're not going to get through the, to the end of the chapter today. Last week we ended with the three things that believers need to be doing as we wait for God, the Father, to tell His Son, go get your bride. And that's what the church is. The church is the bride of Christ. And when the church is complete, and that's what Jesus is doing, He's waiting for His Father to say, go get the bride, go get your bride, go get the church. And then we will forever be with Him. But there's three things that ended the message with that we need to be doing as we wait for that trumpet sound, which will either take us from wherever we're at at the time of the rapture or from the grave if that's where we're being. I'm getting closer to the grave all the time, so I might be in the grave. I don't know, but it, uh, it can happen at any time, any moment. It's a, a certainty that it will happen. What are we supposed to be doing? There was three things last week. Sharing the gospel. We need to be sharing to the world. There is a judgment coming. Jesus Christ is the only hope of escaping the judgment. There's going to be the seven-year tribulation where the nations are judged. There's a great white throne out there where individuals will be judged if they, keep, if they die without Christ. And that's a message that we need to be carrying and holding forth. It's the most important thing that we can be doing as we live out our lives on this earth. It's looking for those opportunities to share that message. The other thing was to comfort each other. As we live out our lives on this earth, it's not a pleasant place to live life. A lot of times it's very unpleasant, and we need to be comforting each other. And then the other thing is that we need to be building each other up, and that's one of the things that we need to really understand. We do not build people up in themselves. That's the message the world has. The world has the message we're to build each other up in ourselves. Self-esteem, self-worth, we hear that a lot. The Bible makes it clear we are to build people up in Christ Jesus, who we are in Christ, not who we are in ourselves. And uh, it's important that we realize that and understand that. That's our goal. So those are the three things we needed to be doing at the end of the message, building each other up in Him, doing things that please Him. And what pleases Him is if we're servants. He Serving is a high calling, and it pleases God. Before we learn Thessalonians, turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we're going to look at verses, we're going to begin with 41, but before we begin there, the reason I wanted to go here is to show that what Jesus teaches about service. See, John and James's mother had come to Jesus and asked for permission for her sons to sit on each side of the throne. She knew that Jesus was going to be sitting on the throne. She wanted one of her sons on each side of the throne during the millennial reign, that thousand years when the kingdom was set up. And she asked permission for those boys to be there. Jesus instructed her that it wasn't for him to give, but they would have to be willing to pay the price. 
I'm going to jump in at 41. This is the response of the other 10 disciples when they heard what was going on. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Ain't that natural? Ain't that so human right there? Those guys are trying to one-up on us, you know. They're trying to get ahead of us. They're trying to pull a shenanigan on us. And so they, and then that, in other, this gospel don't de declare it, but other gospels bring out the fact they got in an argument. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. I get my way. I'm, I'm in a position of authority, so we've got to do it my way. That's the way the world works. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Now here's God's economy. Here's the way God wants us to function. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Don't miss that. Shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom. Basically what Jesus is saying is this, the higher up the ladder you get, the more people you serve. That's the way it is in God's economy. So if you have a position of authority, he expects us to serve those people that are under us. That's what authority is about in the Bible. And so with these thoughts in mind, now let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to jump in at verse 12. Like I say, keep these thoughts in mind that God expects us to serve. And here we're going to get some instructions on how to do that. Verse 12, and we urge you, brethren, so he's talking to Christians, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Here's what we're supposed to do for them. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Their work is hard. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. There's four things there we're going to look at a little bit. What's our attitude towards those in authority? Culturally, we see a big downfall in that. There's a lot of rebellion against authority, a lot of disrespect for authority. My dad always kind of instructed me that the, I remember when I started driving, he, he said, and he was, he was a deputy sheriff in Arnold at the time, and he said to me, he said, if somebody arrests you and you think you're right, and you think the arresting officer is wrong, keep your mouth shut, just say yes, sir. He says, we have a court. And he says, there's an issue needs to be taken up. Take it up in the court. But you show respect to that officer. Even if he's wrong, you show respect to him. There's a place to deal with. And that's what God's expecting. That's what God's saying here. Respect those that are in authority. Those that have a, a position of authority. We need to respect them. 
And so we respect the office of authority, even though sometimes we might have a disagreement with the person that's in authority. We have no right to be disrespectful, responding with evil. As the verse says, don't respond evil for evil. And so authority in the Holy Spirit, it says esteem them. That means to respect them very highly in love. And we need to understand, love is not this Hollywood understanding of love where we huggy-huggy and slobber on each other. That's not love. Love is doing what's right to another person. Responding to somebody in a right, biblical, righteous way. That's what love is. That's what biblical love is. And so you don't have to necessarily agree with somebody to respond to them in a righteous manner in a right way, in a proper way. And so it's important that we understand that when we're dealing with authority. For their work's sake, it's a tough place to be in a position of authority. I thought of three examples that you all know of here, and I'm going to pick on them. Jenny's the first one I'm going to pick on. She's in charge of Awanas. The buck stops there. Somebody calls up Tuesday night and says, I'm sick, or even Wednesday, and says, I can't be there, then she's got to find the slot. She's responsible for all those. How many kids are coming now? 40? <laughs> I agree with you. It's a, it's a mill around here. So she's, she's got a responsibility to all those busy The helpers, the teachers, she's, she's responsible for them. She has to serve them. That's her assignment, to serve them. It's a tough place to serve that many people. She does a good job. She deserves our respect. Next one, I'm going to pick on Lee. Lee's the Sunday school superintendent. Sunday school teacher gets sick on Sunday morning. Guess who gets to find something to pick up the pieces? It's Lee. He's responsible... His position as Sunday school teacher, he's responsible to serve every Sunday school teacher. And from there down, he's serving every Sunday school student from that position. That's his position of service. And so he's responsible to try to do right by everybody that's in Sunday school or connected with it. Your church board is the third one I want to give you an example all these people I'm talking about, they're just human beings. They're not superman or superwoman. They're just human beings. They make mistakes. But you've got a good board. They want what's best for this church, and they strive for that. You've got a good board. They deserve your respect. They've got a lot of responsibility to handle and so that's what, that's what he's saying here in this verse. Even if we can't always agree with him, you have to respect him. God expects you to respect those people in authority. Even when they blow it, and they will. Because they're human. And so he's, in the church, in the body of believers, there has to be this respect. We deal with each other with, and he, he, the Holy Spirit 
uses the words, esteem them very highly in love. Right conduct towards them. For their work's sake, because their work is harder. The higher up the ladder you come, Jesus made it very clear, we're going to be judged by how we, what kind of slave we was to all those that's under us. Higher up you come, the more responsibility, you are, the more accountability that's going to be expected of you when you stand before the Lord. And so our job as members of this body of Christ is to esteem those that's over. I have two men in the Berean Fellowship that's basically over me. One is a pastor that's the head of the district, and then Scott Mathis is head of the Berean Fellowship. Those guys are over me. And I, it, I'm in a good place. Both of them are easy to respect. I got a lot of respect for both of them, for the kind of men they are, the heart attitude they have, and they're not perfect. But I got a lot of respect for them. So that's what I feel like he's, the Holy Spirit's trying to establish here, is we need to esteem those over us very highly in love. And... Uh, Respecting people that is in authority. That's the best way we can try to maintain peace. You notice how it says, the verse said, be at peace among yourselves. So we don't have to be in agreement all the time, but if we have this mutual respect, it'll help maintain a peace that should be a part of the body of Christ. Now the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at verse, verse 14 now, we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit instructs us to serve one another, in other words, how to help one another. And he uses, the first word is a now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. I want to stop there. Unruly. Basically what unruly means is somebody that's not walking in righteousness. In other words, somebody that's not living the Christian life the way they should live the Christian life. Let's start here. We all have a sin nature. That sin nature of itself is in rebellion to God. We all have a nature that would like to say, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to listen to God. So let's start there. We all have that disposition in us. But if we see somebody that <coughs> is living on Christ-like, it says here we're supposed to warn them. Because an on Christ-like walk doesn't glorify God, and that's why we're here. First and foremost, we're to glorify God. And an on Christ-like walk does not glorify God, plus it will bring discipline. Now Paul warned these guys in this first letter, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm thinking maybe it wasn't heeded too well because the Holy Spirit gives Paul some stronger words in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 6, we just looked at the word warning, now in this Second letter that Paul sends, he, he uses a lot stronger word, but we command you, brethren, 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, in other words, in rebellion, unruly, and not according to the traditions which he received from us. Now jump down to verse 11. This kind of tells us maybe what was going on. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner who work not working at all, but are busybodies. Get a job and shut up. Frank Scott paraphrase. That's what we're supposed to be minding our own business for the most part. We ain't supposed to be busybodies. We're supposed to be having jobs and taking care of our families, and that's what a Christian's supposed to do. That's what part of being a Christian's all about. And so he gets a little stronger in Second Thessalonians when he addresses probably the same issue that maybe was going on. Possibly. Sorry, my throat's <clears> dry. <throat> so the problem was they was walking in a careless manner, just doing their own thing, not focused on walking in, in righteousness and truth, love and mercy, just doing their own thing. And so he says, that's the problem, so what's the pro how's the answer? Give them a warning. And then the next one we want to look at here is he calls them faint-hearted. If you've got an old King James, it says uh, feeble-minded. But it's really not a person that's not thinking right. It's a person that's not thinking right with a heart problem. Because he has a heart problem, he's not thinking right. It's maybe a better way to put that. What the issue is here is <coughs> people are getting discouraged, wanting to give up, wanting to quit. What their problem is, they lack confidence. They lack confidence. It's probably many times an immature Christian or a Christian that has neglected growing spiritually. And they lack confidence in God. They lack confidence in their relationship with God. And so they have this, man, I, I can't do it. They kind of a fatalist type attitude. I just, I, I just will throw my hands up in the air and quit because I can't do it. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to come along and comfort that person, encourage that person, that <clears throat> and help that person understand that they're not supposed to function in their own strength in their own talents, their own abilities, but they're supposed to function in the Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's part of our job to each other here is to, if we see somebody that's not walking in a Christ-like manner, in love, go talk to them. Tell them, you know, hey, you're headed for discipline. God will discipline if you continue to walk in an ungodly manner. But here's the person that's on kind of the other side of the spectrum, maybe he just, I can't do it. He's got this discouraged attitude. And, and life's discouraging. And we got an enemy, and he likes to attack us. And he does attack us. And so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to comfort this person, encourage this person. And so the, what's the problem? The person's discouraged. What's the answer? Encourage them. Comfort them. Don't, don't let them give up. And then verse, the last one in verse 14, it talks about to uphold the weak, be patient with all. 
uphold the weak. Here's, this is not talking about physical weakness. This is talking about somebody whose faith, they just don't have the faith there. And how does faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so you come alongside this person. A lot of times this type of person, I hadn't thought about this much. Warren Wiersbe really challenged me on that with this, those words right there in his comments. He says, many times this person is somebody that lacks confidence, is scared of the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. And a lot of times this type of person will be living under a list of do's and don'ts. And so they think they have to stay under this rigid list of do's and don'ts or God's going to be unhappy with them. In other words, they don't have the... They're walking by sight, and they've got this list of do's and don'ts. They're not walking by faith. In other words, their relationship with Jesus is not such that they're not walking any close. They don't have a, they're not walking in the strength of the Lord in that relationship with Jesus. I thought about this as I meditated about it a little bit. The closer we are to Jesus, the more Jesus can deal with us in a bold, forthright manner. The closer we are to Jesus, the more he can deal with us kind of strongly. Example. Peter. Jesus tells him, I've got to go to the cross. And Peter, with good intentions, and we all have good intentions, don't we? gets in Peter's face, or gets in Jesus' face and says, no, you're not going to the cross. You're not going to die. You're going to be the king. You know, that's the attitude that Peter was had. His intentions was very good. Do you know what Jesus said to him? Jesus looked Peter in the eye and said, get behind me, Satan. Has Jesus ever said that to you? Are you close enough in your relationship with Jesus Christ that he can be that bold and forthright with you and say, your good intentions are Satan's will, not mine. We've got to understand Jesus is, and that's where we need to be. It's not about whether I'm right. It's not about whether I'm wrong. It's, it's about, is it his will? This being come. So are you close enough to Jesus in your relationship that he can be to you what he was to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Your intentions are the will of Satan, not mine. It's not a comfortable place to be, but it's a necessary place to be. It really is. To be, to be that open with him that you can allow him to speak to you as boldly as he spoke to Peter. And that has a lot to do with where we're at in our relationship. And, and if we're weak, he can't talk to us that way. And if we see somebody in that situation, we need to come alongside and kind of bear them up. See, help them learn what it is to walk by faith. And then the answer is patience. And patience ties in with everything we've been looking at this morning. This kind of a person's ministry is not easy. It's hard work. And we have to be patient. 
it's crucial that we are very patient in doing ministry. I've shared with you before that God taught me. God used livestock to teach me. I learned patience working cattle when I'm alone. That's where I really learned patience because you cannot force your will upon a cow by yourself unless she's in the chute and you got a hot shot. Then you can get kind of forceful. But to get her to the chute, you know, it's kind of tough. To get her there with the right attitude, and that should be our goal. I learned a lot of patience working cattle by myself alone. I learned to pray more. I learned to wait more. I learned to think more. I learned to think of a better way to do it. You see, one of the things I learned, don't push a cow till she gets mad. What do you do with a mad cow? Not much. She might do with you, but you won't do much with her. So don't push her till she gets mad. Don't push her to that point. Same thing is true with people. Don't push them to that point. Don't push your ideas, your wills, your opinions to the point that you make people mad. Don't push them to that point. Here's something else I learned about a cow. You push, especially a bull, you push a bull to where he'll fight you, he'll go to fight quicker each time you have to do something with him. He'll go there quicker. That same principle works with people. It takes a lot of patience to work with people. And you've got to realize it's not about me. So don't force the issue on others. Seek an easier way. Next warning. So we've got to watch, what's, what's my attitude? And we need to watch, what's my motive? <clears throat> Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why am I struggling? What's my motive? To get a change, to get my way, or to get his way? So we've got to make sure it's about him and not about us. Do I have to be right? Or is it about getting his will done? That's, what it has to, that's where our focus has to be. So I've got to examine my motives. And when it's not done my way, don't take it personal. Here again, I learned this from cattle. If you're trying to teach a dog, a horse, or even a cow something, and they don't understand it, don't take it personal. And if they do understand it and decide not to do it, don't take it personal. That's the easy place to go. Easy places to get mad. You dumb critter. That's easy. Don't take it personal. See, if the motive's wrong, then they will go, will take it personal, and personal is easy to get angry. They don't understand, 
don't take it personal. If they understand and decide not to, don't take it personal. That's their problem. Don't make it your problem. If they understand and they decide not to do it, don't take it personal. Because if you take it personal, you became the problem. And we need to understand that. I've seen guys working with livestock and just mad. They, get, they take it personal. Can't take it personal. And I understand. It's easy. I've been there. Boss gives you 10 things to do in here. You got this stupid cow that won't go through the gate, you know. It's easy to take it personal. But we can't take it personal, especially in ministry. Because we're dealing with people from eternal. Cows is temporary. People is eternal. That's what I'm trying to say. So you really need to get our, hand, our minds wrapped around some of these things. Watch our attitude. What's our attitude? Notice what he says there. Rejoice always. Rich's little quiz challenged me this morning. I guarantee you that much. I didn't like it at first, but I thought about it a little bit, you know. Nail on the head. Sometimes I go in some place and get a cup of coffee or whatever, and the waitress or whatever will tell you, have a nice day. Uh, here's the way I respond a lot of times. I said, I've figured the secret out. If I take care of my attitude, I can have a nice day. My attitude determines more on my day being nice or bad than circumstances. Joyful attitude. And Jesus, he's saying right here, be joyful. Joy lifts the burden of ministry. The Bible says his joy is our strength. And so take the attitude of man alive, you know. I got an opportunity to serve in his name, to serve others in his name. We should, re even with the struggles and the burdens, that should be a joy. There should be a joy. I've got an opportunity to do something for him that's going to affect people's lives and bring them to a better place for eternity. We focus way too much in the temporary, not near enough in the eternal. And so there should be this joy as we serve the Lord. God loves a cheerful giver, and it's not just money, it's service. God loves us if we serve, we have this joy, this cheerful attitude when we're serving. I get to serve, I don't have to serve. And uh, I get corrected with that statement every once in a while. I got to go do this. No, you get to go do that. Nobody likes to listen to old gloomy Gus or doubting Thomas especially in ministry. And so let's make sure we're not one of those people. <clears throat> I don't know if you realize it. The four spiritual characteristics that we just looked at, love, joy, peace, patience, are the first four listed of the nine in Galatians 2.20 or 5.22. So what is talking about the fruit of the Spirit? Go to Galatians chapter 5. 
but the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is, it's got nine characteristics, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience is what that means, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, there's a big one, against such there is no law. Against such there is no law. There is no list. There's basically what Paul, Holy Spirit has Paul dealing with legalism in the church. People, Judaizers coming along and taking the, the believers, these new converts, back under and making them live under the law. You cannot make God happy if you don't obey the law. You're sure you're saved, but you can't stay saved if you don't obey the law. These were the things that they were dragging these people back under. And Paul's dealing with it. And he says, this here is what the Spirit wants to do in your life. He wants to produce the character of Jesus Christ is basically what it boils down to. No law can do that. We cannot make a list of do's and don'ts that will produce fruit in your life. Yeah, we can put a whole list of do's and don'ts. Don't do this and don't do this and do this and do that. And we can make all kinds of lists. That list cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. The only thing that can produce the fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit. When it controls our lives. And that's basically what the Holy Spirit did for this Thessalonian church. He named four of those characteristics and said this is the way you're supposed to be treating each other this is the conduct in the church these four things the rest of them apply too also the guy that mattered me I'm out of time already the guy that mattered me asked me this question he said Frank Why did Jesus take the disciples on the road and not put them in a classroom? He said, think about it and come back. So I pondered around, went back. He affirmed this, and I, I agree with it. I, this is kind of what I came up with. You see, I can learn about the fruit of the Spirit sitting in a church pew. I can learn about the fruit of the Spirit. I can get knowledge about the Christian life sitting in a classroom. I cannot learn to produce the fruit of the Spirit here. It's out there. It's doing life that we learn to produce the fruit of the Spirit. It's putting up with weather, broke down equipment, hay that won't dry, hay that's too dry. There's where we learn for the fruit of the Spirit to manifest itself in our lives. It's not sitting in a classroom. I can get a head full of knowledge in a classroom. All that does is puff you up. The Bible says it puffs you up and makes you proud. A proud person cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. Where do I learn? Out there where my knowledge and my strength is not enough. And then I start to depend on him. Even taking care of an old black cow. I'll share this story and I'll end with it. Had a, 
had a black cow. She was ornery. She'd been mishandled in the past. I mean, bunch up of cows, and, and she, she'd come out. The last two times I tried to do something with her, when I decided she had to go down the road, just bunched up the cows and not doing anything with them, just had them bunched up, and she comes out of the bunch and starts fighting you. So when she comes through the chute that fall, Matt Vickers was pregging them, and I said, Matt, just write a circle on her, don't preg check her. He says, you don't want, I said, just draw a circle on her. I don't want to do to somebody else what somebody done to me. We let her out. Of, he drew a circle, let her out of the chute, and she turned around and put us on the fence. He says, I see why. You see, that cow had been mishandled in the past. That's the reason she had that attitude. She had been mishandled in the past. I care about cows. I like cows. And so I've learned to have a lot of patience because I wound up buying a lot of if you're going to buy cows, buy dispersions. Don't buy somebody else cleaning up his herd. But that's all I could afford for a lot of years, so I put up with a lot of ornery cows, but I like cows. And so I put up with a lot from a lot of those cows, and I try to find a better way, an easier way to deal with them. I gave up on that cow. You see, that, that cow had been mishandled. I gave her several opportunities to try to get Listen to me. In ministry with each other, we're dealing with people that have three enemies. Satan, this world system, and their own sin nature. God has to give us a love for each other for us to do ministry right. Not be right. Do ministry right. It's not about me about him and as he teaches us to love each other I, I give cows a lot of chances I've bought a lot of bad cows I got, still got a lot of bad cows that's the only one I gave up on I finally gave up on her because I figured she's going to hurt somebody she, wasn't, she didn't just go by the blow snot on you as they go by you've all seen that happen she wanted you so I got rid of her what we're dealing with when we deal with ministry, we're dealing with people that's been hurt, been wronged, been amused many times by Christians. And it takes love, peace, joy, patience. Patience is a big part of ministry, and that's the four we looked at this morning. Father God in heaven, we just thank you for your word. Just pray your Holy Spirit would uh, not just open it and teach us what it is, but as you teach us what it is, Father, use, as we leave these doors and we go out and we interact and go back to our jobs and the troubles and the trials and stuff, use them to teach us to surrender to the Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in our lives, for that's what glorifies you and that's what you can use for us to minister to each other is the fruit of the Spirit. Produce that in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.